0: Uh, the no signal, it says up there. There it is.
1: Yeah, I don't know why that... We should be starting right? like now. Yeah, you can start right now.
0: Okay. Um, Zain, Food. Cut. Nourish. Matic. Like a pickaxe. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint. But I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts.
1: Good deal. Okay, it says we are live, so I can turn that off. I can turn that off. All right, let's see here. Uh, well, we've got some prayer requests. Uh, Samuel Classy, he uh, uh, he's asking for prayer for his aunt Anne. She's having some heart issues. Um, she gets faint when relaxing and then standing up. So there you go with that. And also, uh, his uh, grandfather Roland is still not doing well, so we want to keep him in prayer. This is just a young guy in high school. He says, pray for me. The same guy for these three prayers. Pray for me that I may pick the right path that's for me to take after graduate high school. I keep receiving mounting pressure and questions about what I'm going to be doing after high school. He's a senior. It's testing his faith, and he doesn't know what path he should take. Well, I'll sit down and talk to him about it, but I would not at this point in life recommend the U.S. Air Force. I would have... 10 years ago or even 5 years ago I might have but I certainly would not now um, you know I, speaking of that I got somebody that I know uh, who's retired Air Force and he went up uh, to uh, MacDill Air Force Base this past week I believe maybe it was a week and a half ago to see a retirement ceremony and he only retired a short time ago like 3-4 years ago he could not believe the change in our military he couldn't believe it the lack lack of military decorum people walking around the hair the lack of uniforms just walking around with half a uniform on it just terrible so I, I would not recommend him to go in the Air Force but uh, I should probably email Sam and tell him what I think um, uh, let's see here we uh, Shimono is in the hospital with COVID and he's got it really bad um, it, unfortunately he's in a state where they will not allow you to take ivermectin or any of the other things that actually work and so um uh he uh he's worried about his brother so he's asking for prayer for him Yoshimono is the one in the hospital Mm -hmm. and then uh Steve he's going to be leaving tomorrow morning he can't be here tonight because he's got a a meeting but he's going to be traveling tomorrow be gone for months so we want to keep him in prayer for safe traveling no just till the end of December and then um uh okay so we've got those things and um if anybody in Sarasota is listening and uh uh, has a recliner and or a dresser we need them for the project so if you have an extra recliner or a dresser uh, let me know I think it has to be an exactly four foot long dresser if I remember the dimensions the recliner doesn't matter anyway um, we'll go ahead and read this and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer today is the 8th of December mm-hmm. and it says being the author of best-selling books did not prevent him from experiencing persecution. Richard Baxter was born in Roton, Shropshire, England in 1615. His father was converted to Christ about the time of his son's birth. And young Richard followed the faith of his father. A brilliant student, Baxter mastered books of theology while still in his teens. He was ordained into the Anglican ministry in 1638. Baxter, a gifted intellectual, also had a pastor's heart for souls, which led to an almost complete conversion of his 600-member congregation and a veritable social transformation of the town itself. On Sundays, he reported, you might hear a hundred families singing psalms and repeating sermons as you passed through. His impassioned and eloquent preaching was so popular that galleries had to be added to his church to accommodate all those who came to worship. The congregation, in turn, reached out to the community at large. Day and night, they thirsted after the salvation of their neighbors, according to Baxter. It was following his years in the army that Baxter began to write. He authored over 160 books, including a paraphrase of the New Testament, a metrical version of the Psalms, and two volumes of poetry. His book, The Saints' Everlasting Rest, was among the most widely read English books of the 17th century. He had a heart like Christ for Christian unity, and his efforts to unite Protestant Christians on essential gospel truths met with success. I noticed that I didn't mention the Catholics. Mm-hmm. Baxter founded the Ecumenical Worcester Association for Protestant ministers and Christians from varied denominations worship together regularly at his Kidderminster church. He proposed a theological truce between the Calvinists and the Arminians, the two main doctrinal combatants of the day. It was Baxter who popularized the saying in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in both, charity. But a man who seeks to draw people in is often misunderstood and even hated by those who seek to shut them out. As a Puritan within the Church of England, Baxter ran into trouble with the Anglican hierarchy when Charles II came to the throne and made him one of his chaplains. The act of uniformity of... 1662 required all ministers to give unfeigned consent to the Anglican prayer book. This led to the great ejection of 2,000 Puritan pastors from their churches, including Richard Baxter. In 1685, under King James II, he was falsely accused of libel against the church, fined a large sum, and imprisoned for six months. When released, Though 70 years old and ill, he plunged back into the harvest. Paxter had always preached as never sure to preach again and as dying man to dying men. He delivered his final sermon with as much compassionate fire as his very first. Upon completion of his sermon, the aged pastor made his way wearily home to bed. There in the company of beloved friends, he spent his final hours. I bless God. I have a well-grounded assurance of my eternal happiness, he whispered to his bedside companions, and great peace and comfort within. When his friends reminded him of the encouragement and comfort his books had been to others, he replied with humility, I was but a pen in the hand of God. What praise is due a pen? He once wrote, Our lives are like a candle in a broken lantern, which a blast of wind may soon blow out. Richard Baxter's candle burned brightly until December 8th, 1691, when the gentle breath of God blew over his temporal light and he entered into his everlasting rest. They ask, how do you evaluate the maxim in essentials unity? I'm glad they asked this because I was going to address that. In non-essentials liberty and in both charity, have you had experiences in which this was not applied? How does one decide what are essentials and what are non-essentials? And uh, Ephesians 4, he is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. So there you go with that. One of the things I'll talk about in a second. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to come in and meet together and to sharing your word and what a precious word it is. We thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, um, we pray for the uh, requests that were laid here and that we just ask that you would uh, be attentive to them, help out that young man who's trying to make his uh, decision about a life uh, path and uh, give him wisdom in that and the other people that are mentioned in their needs for their families and friends and so on. And Lord, we pray for this class and we pray that you will bless it and uh, just have us walk the right path of doctrine. And if we stray from that, please let us know so that we would correct anything that is not correct. We praise you and we thank you for this. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, in uh, non-essentials and essentials and all that. Um, uh, somebody tried to use that uh, when Glenn Beck was uh, uh, doing his thing a couple years ago and they talked about, he quoted somebody similar to that, talking about, um, you know, uh, if he's a, uh, uh, Christian and I will ball, uh, by all means pray with him. Or he, he, anyway, he was trying to fit Glenn Beck into that. And Glenn Beck is a Mormon. I, you know, I like the guy, isn't A radio announcer. But I will not pray with Glenn Beck. I'm sorry. He he believes a heretical notion about God, and uh, he may have been saved when he was young. And he may I don't know what church he attended or anything, Catholic. but Catholic originally. So. He went from, and that happens a lot. I heard, uh, or I reported it about eight years ago, that uh, uh, the Catholic Church was really starting to fall away in New York because of all the sex scandals, and a lot of them were going to Mormonism. You talk about going from the frying pan into the fryer. That will do it. Um, So, you know, I'm sorry. If somebody believes that Jesus is a man who became a god, I'm not going to pray with him. The symbolism of the Old Testament tells us never to do that okay? You never mix the incense with any other incense, and incense is a type of prayer. Um, If somebody wants to pray with anybody outside of Christianity, obviously you don't do that, but if somebody can't get the fundamental tenet of Jesus Christ's deity right, I would not pray with them. Now, I would pray if a Calvinist or somebody came in here, I would pray and, you know, allow them in here because they're probably saved believers. I mean, there's a lot of people in churches all over that they're not saved and you know i don't know the salvation of anybody in this church all i can do is guess they're probably all saved but that's between them and god but um there are certain things that we cannot say well i'm going to agree with you on this if somebody can't agree that uh salvation is eternal and i say that it is the only option is that, you know, you are in control of your salvation, and the Bible doesn't teach that, so I can't agree with somebody on that. There's no agreement. There's no understanding of where their thinking is in that particular precept, but uh, at the same time, you know, they can be just as saved as I am, you know, whatever, but they just have a fundamentally wrong idea about certain doctrines. Now, some people take that to extremes that do not belong, such as the rapture. You know, he's a mid-trib believer, and so he's going to hell. And that's the stupidest thing in the world, okay? For 2,000 years of church history, nobody talked about the rapture. I mean, they talked about whatever the Bible said. We're all going to be with the Lord, and some had this idea or that idea. But the rapture idea was really, the way it's taught today, really didn't come around until about 200 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't taught. Then people will use that and they'll say, well, that's a new teaching started with John Darby, and so we know that it's not true. Well, first, that's a fallacy in thinking because Calvinism only started a little bit before that, maybe 200 years before that. And so you can use the same argument against Calvinism. That's not a good argument. And secondly, the rapture was taught 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul. And so just because it hasn't been taught in the church recently doesn't mean that it wasn't taught at the beginning it means that it fell away as an idea because the jews were exiled and who would have thought so how do you how do you take all of those prophecies in the old testament and say those are going to be literally fulfilled when you don't know that there's even a jewish nation anymore there's just some jews here and there and so you spiritualize everything and then you by default have to spiritualize something like the rapture but Whether you, you know, people will say, well, if you don't believe in the rapture, you're not gonna be raptured. (laughs) That is stupid. And the reason why is because, like I said, most people did not believe it. Most people don't even know what a rapture is. For the past 2,000 years, you could go into a church, to this day, you could go into a church around the world and ask most people, do you know what the rapture is? They wouldn't have an idea what you're talking about. They just wouldn't. I mean, it's something that a lot of people hold to because we're in America and we've got Bibles all over and we got teachers all over that talk about these things. But for the most part, they believe that they're going to go and be with the Lord. And they haven't really thought it through much more than that. And all of the people, it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's every person that ever died in Christ is going to rise first. It doesn't matter if they believed in a rapture or not. It doesn't matter if they were ever told of a rapture or not. So in some things you can, you know, whatever this quote this guy said in unity, in honesty, you know, whatever. Whatever he said. It's fine, to an extent. But there is a point where you have to say, this doctrine is wrong, and this doctrine is heretical. And you have to be able to define that. And then the ones that are heretical, you need to say, I cannot agree with you on this precept. There's no agreement. We will not fellowship on that uh, particular precept, because that is something that is actually heretical. If you teach that, the person that you are teaching that will never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so uh, you just, you have to, that's why we have Bible studies, is to find out what is correct, what isn't, and what is truly major doctrine and what is lesser doctrine. So in some ways I agree with that statement, but I think people will take it too far. Then they try to force it on everybody. Everybody has to be, you know, uh, it becomes the ecumenical movement. Everybody has to be on the same level, regardless of what you believe, and what I believe is just as valid as what you believe. And the Bible does not teach that ever the bible has one set doctrine we need to discover what that doctrine is okay he may say the set doctrine is this and he may say the set doctrine is this and somebody else may come along and say no neither of those is correct and those two if they disagree either one of them is right or the other is right or they are both wrong but they can't both be right okay so once again we just need to be careful to understand Uh, doctrine as best we can and to not get pushed into caving on our core doctrines by saying well we must fellowship with these people even if they disagree in these principal points of doctrine like Glenn Beck I'm sorry I would have no problem going to listen to a Glenn Beck speech on you know whatever he talks about lately yeah the constitution but I would not go and have a prayer with Glenn Beck I would have a conversation with them, say, you know, you believe a false gospel. That's what Galatians one six through eight says, and you need to get this right. But I would not have a prayer with them. If people, if that offends somebody, I don't care. But the, I am not going to do it. The, the yes.
0: rapture argument. I mean, it's like you know, I, I firmly believe it'll be a pre-trip. Rapture. Yeah. No two ways about it. But. I'm not about to go to war. No. Why? Whether or not it's like, like it's like you know. My response to anybody who's like who's just adamant, it's like no, it's 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 mid trip, it's mid trip. You're wrong, you're wrong. It's like okay, great. Let's do this. After we get raptured, yeah,
1: we'll laugh about it, okay? And okay? You know what? You do that. It's like the, you know, the it's people that constantly predict the rapture think that they're doing something great. They think that they're ahead on all of these wonderful insights into scripture. They have something that you don't have. And then when it doesn't happen, they look foolish and they make Christians look foolish. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? They just go and find another date. And they keep doing this. And there's no reward to be had for being right about the day of the rapture. You're going to get raptured just like everybody else. So why do it? Why do that? Since it's
0: not known and purposely so. And it's like, okay, don't do that. Tell somebody about my son. That's, yeah. That's like, you know, you're that's wasting what we're your supposed energy.
1: To. They are wasting ah. the energy. People that get so heavily into the rapture uh, uh, waste, waste their time in Christ. They literally waste it. It's not something that you should be uh, spending all of your waking hours on is, you know, figuring out calculations and this day and that day and leading to this and leading to that. I, it, that's just not something that... Is appropriate. I and I agree. admit when I first met the Lord, I thought, hey, I'm going to do the same thing, and I thought I'd have it all figured out. And then I realized this is just, this is nonsense. This is, it's getting caught up in sensationalism. So anyway.
0: My favorite pot stirrer from California. I like, oh yes. I like when she starts it
1: though. Oh yeah, she's very good at it. Very good at that. Okay, we're in uh, 3 2 today.
0: Yes, we are. But let's go back to 1 just to make it all. Fit together. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Two. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things.
1: Okay, uh, almost identical. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay. Um, real short commentary on this verse. Paul now builds upon the words of the previous verse. He just said, "If then you were raised with Christ." Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And because of this, he implores those in Colossae, and because he's writing an epistle, and that epistle is in the Bible, he is also writing to us, okay? He wants us to set your mind on things above, his words. The Greek word translated as set your mind is an interesting one. It is it comes. This, in turn, comes from phren which is the midriff or diaphragm, the parts around the heart. Thus, it carries the idea of regulating from within, as in an inner perspective, which then is displayed in an outward behavior. This may seem difficult to grasp because it combines the visceral organs with cognitive aspects of thinking, but we do this with other body parts quite often. We say, my heart will be with you. We simply mean when we do that, we are using the heart instead of these other organs to show where our affections are. So it's just, you know, whatever. Uh, Paul is exhorting his readers to have their thoughts directed to heavenly things instead of things on earth. Once again, his words. We have died to the things of the world, and so our hearts should be oriented to where we have been raised to instead. As the scholar Lightfoot says, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. Okay, Uh, there's an old saying. I repeat it from time to time to remind you of that. It's um, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That's right. Okay, and that is true to an extent. That is true in the sense that some people, all they think about is not being here and they never get anything done here, like what we were just talking about with rapture setters. Okay, they don't do anything productive in the church. They're like, you know, the spots on the uh, chair over there. They just May look good, they may not too, but anyway, they may look good, but they don't really do anything. You sit on the chair and the spots are covered. But um, uh, at the same time, we should set our mind on the heavenly things. And what that means is that we should always be focused on the things of God. That doesn't mean on heaven itself, like rapture setter, date setters and that kind of thing, but on the things that. Are heavenly Christ is yeah. in heaven God is in heaven our eternal home is in heaven our state should reflect what we will be like as much as possible it's it's hard I mean it you know you go out and you want to have fun with your friends and you want to have you know whatever you just want to be goofy with each other and uh, there's a point where that becomes unheavenly we'll say um, so you have to regulate and balance these things but we should uh, as he said you must not only seek heaven you must Think heaven, and that means that uh, right now Paul says we're seated with God in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, well we should live that way. We shouldn't be living according to the things of this world. And uh, you know, once again, it's hard. I understand that it's a very hard thing to do because we're in this world. We get affected by this world. When we're sick, we uh, you know we get. Hedeco knows if I get hungry, she she's gone and I haven't eaten all day, and she's supposed to be home at 5.30 and at 6.25, and she comes home without having stopped at the store, I'm in a really grumpy mood. My daughter and I, uh, we we would call it hangry. We, we, our emotions mix, and we get hungry and angry at the same time. And uh, my daughter is great at that, I'm great at that. And once I've eaten, I'm fine again, but I'm just irritable as I can be until I've had something to eat. And it's my fault, it's not her fault, because I could have eaten something all day. But when I'm sitting at the desk and I'm typing a a 12 or 13 hour long sermon, I never get up. I just sit there and I type and I think. And if I do get up, if something distracts me, I might lose 30 or 40 minutes of thinking, trying to figure something out. And so I try not to do that. And when I get up, if it's for something important, it's not for stopping at the refrigerator. I just don't do that. And then I've also heard that if you drink water, which is something I'm not inclined to do, I'm not a big water drinker, it helps you think. So if you're doing something and you wanna think you wanna drink water, well, I have purposefully over the past two years or a year and a half brought water to the desk and I set it down and I, but then that makes you have to do something else. So it, it interrupts my thinking again. But um, that's one thing. And uh, two, if you eat more than just a little bit, that decreases your thinking. They've done all the studies, even when I was a kid. They said, don't, if you eat breakfast, the worst time to take a test is like between 9 and 11 because your brain is processing that food instead of uh, uh, whatever you're supposed to. And so they, they did these studies. They know the best time to take a test. They know uh, the best amount to eat and all that. But I just don't eat on like sermon typing day or when I'm doing something important at the desk. And uh, so you get into these earthly situations and it, it just, It affects you. And so uh, I I understand. I'm not trying to say that uh, what I'm teaching you is the way I am. I'm teaching you because that's the way it should be. You should be thinking about heavenly things. You should be living the heavenly life, and it's not easy. You have difficult times in life. They distract you in a million different ways. You don't sleep well. Whatever it is, it affects you. It affects everybody around you. So um, uh, I'm telling you what the Bible says to do, but Don't think that just because I'm telling you, that's how I am. Hedical will assure you that it's not, and mom will too. Okay, Uh, life application. Do not let the world drag you out of your heavenly home. If you have been raised with Christ, then live for Christ. Okay, this is just what we should do. Uh, I say it uh, week after week at Bible class. I don't say it as much during church because I don't want to embarrass the people at church that don't come to Bible class. Although I was thinking about it today, it's just rubbing it in one of these Sundays is that um, uh, you uh, there's only a, a certain number of ways that you are ever going to really grow in Christ. And one of them is attending your sermons on Sunday. Okay, you're supposed to fellowship in that way. You're supposed to attend church. And I do know that there are people out there that have no church in their town or they have no good church in their town. And so they attend online. And that's what they should be doing. They're at least fellowshipping in the sense that they are engaging with a church, whether it's this church or another one, okay? The second thing is, and it's one, I've said it almost every Bible study, is it Bible study. This is where you get doctrine. You will get interesting things in a sermon, but you're not going to get doctrine the way that you will, except on the doctrine series sermons, which I'm glad I did those. I did not want to do them, and my friend Mike insisted and he insisted and finally after about eight years of insisting i did the doctrine series and now all i have to do is click and hit it and send it to somebody if they ask me a question i don't even bother answering anymore i just send them the doctrines here listen to this and that will answer the question so i'm glad that that happened but um uh the the bible studies are where you're going to learn doctrines you're going to learn a completely different way as well And so um, I'm not one that's uh, a fan of people missing Bible class. And, uh, uh, you know, there are people that attend online right here in Sarasota. And I would rather have that than have them not attend at all. And so as long as people are attending Bible classes, to me, that's a very important thing. And um, uh, another thing that uh, this was the third thing I was going to beat over people's heads. And I will do this eventually. Maybe it'll be on the Christmas sermon is that, uh, uh, you know, it's not that I really care that people read my writings, but if they're not reading my writings, they should be reading something. But I know that I do a Bible commentary every single day. That's the first thing I do every single day. It's in the book of Acts. And uh, it's one way of learning in detail because they will become the Acts Bible study someday, a book of the Bible. And so if you say, I am going to commit myself to doing these things. I'm going to read a commentary, whether it's Charlie's or somebody else's, every single day. I'm going to attend a Bible study at least once a week, and I'm going to go to church at least once a week. You will put your priorities right. And I'm not saying that because I'm sitting here. I'm saying that because that is true. Because a lot of people that attend the the, uh, Bible studies don't attend this church. They have their own church that they go to on Sunday. And so it's not a, a pride thing with me. It's just a reality thing. If you want, you know, and I'm obviously speaking to a couple people here that show up every week for Bible class, but uh, what I'm doing is I'm telling this to the people that are online right now. They're at a Bible class right now, but if they're going to a Bible class and they're not going to a Sunday church somewhere, then they are not spending their time wisely, okay? And the same thing is if they're not reading their Bible every single day and then hopefully reading a commentary on the Bible, then I don't think they're spending their time wisely. It doesn't mean you have to do it all day every day but those few things are going to take up about five of your how many hours are in a week um 24 times seven is four times eight carry the two uh seven times two is 140 168 i guess is that right okay so take out five hours you got 163 hours to do something else right that's not a lot of time it may be six hours even if it was 10 it wouldn't be a lot okay but if that's all you're spending out of your, uh, that is a 10, that's not even a 10th of your time, okay? So, there you go. That's just my thought, okay? Um, uh, let's see here, I guess we'll go into three, three now.
0: Okay, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God.
1: Uh, the only thing that's different is this doesn't have now. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, uh, there you go with that. Uh, before I go on, when are you going back up north? You want me to leave no i'm just asking <laughs> you are going to go for christmas aren't you no oh steve, good steve is i, well, I know he's leaving no, tomorrow but no i'm not okay well good nobody nobody cares well i today. do if you're not here i'd be crying every day until you return so you know i'm very happy that you're going to be here, be here. Uh, yeah good um how be into last year on,
0: on when we went to the hood on be here Saturday, was christmas or
1: be there? square yeah that's right well this oh you know i'll tell you seeing as how you brought that up um uh, people have been asking me, and I'll say it now, and I'll try to remember to say it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have asked me, are we having church on Sunday, on Christmas Day? And I can't even imagine that question. I can't even imagine, but the answer is yes. I mean, I, 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 there's nothing else I will be doing on Sunday. I don't know what anybody else would be doing on Christmas morning, you know, except going to church. But uh, the answer is yes, we will. Um, we'll probably do something different On Sunday morning before the sermon and then the sermon will obviously be a Christmas sermon okay but uh, I will be here at the same time I'm always here and I hey I need to remember don't let me forget that Christmas Day they're not going to be open at the store so if I'm gonna get stuff for the church we got to pick it up on Saturday Publix. No, they're closed. Christmas and Easter, they close, yes. So I need to be reminded of that, because I won't think of Thanksgiving. that. So Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving probably, too. I think that's right. So a couple days a year, uh, our local store does not open. And so remind me, because we got to get stuff, because the people come in and they'll rebel if we don't have food at halftime. Anyway, um, okay, so here are some of the comments on this. I'll read it once again. Um, <clears throat> For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died is correct. Some older versions say, for you are dead. Without an accompanying explanation, that makes no sense. A dead person cannot read or respond to a letter. But for someone who has died, there can be the possibility of something new involved in that dying. The verb is in the aorist tense and it denotes death accomplished. This is what Paul is now conveying. It builds upon what he said in verse 2. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Down here in verse 3, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's important to keep that distinction, is that we have that. Now, having said that, I get a rapture commentary from somebody once a week. Uh, He does a great job. He's uh, Uh, it's not really rapture, he just calls it that, but he he gives a uh, uh, in-depth commentary on something. And right now he's going through the dispensations. And he uh, said in his commentary this week that um, uh, death is something that all humans are going to experience, talking about physical death. And uh, that's just the way it is. There are no exceptions, blah, blah, blah. And I was getting ready, making a note to uh, email him and make a correction. And then he went down a paragraph and he said, when I said earlier, he said, I want to qualify that, that uh, there is a group of people who will not physically die. And that is those who are going to be taken at the rapture. And then he explained it and he did a good job of it. And I was very glad he did that because we have died with Christ. And so the penalty for our sin, which is death, has been paid vicariously in Christ. So we do not have to physically die in order to be raptured. We will shed this body and we will attain a new one and it will be in the twinkling of an eye as the Bible says but we will not experience physical death. And once again, the reason why is because physical death is the result of sin. Spiritual death is the result of sin and physical death results from spiritual death. But Christ, he suffered that vicariously for us and so we do not have to we may. I mean, we. one of us or all of us. I was thinking so far this year, we're very blessed this year that we have not lost anybody in this church because at the beginning of the year, I thought, you know, have we? I don't think anybody has died in this congregation this year, okay? Pam died last year, Lynn. right? What? Lynn. Oh, Lynn died this year, didn't he? Was I, that I, this year? I, I don't know. It was,
0: it was I, right I, at the turn of the year. It was right at
1: the, so it may have been. But I, you know, I was trying to think that through today, and Lynn may have died this year. It may have been, what was it? It's been about a year. Yeah, it's been about a year. Anyway, um, and we're coming up to the end of the year, and I was going to announce to the church, regardless of the day Lynn died, because I'm trying, I'm glad you said that, because I may be wrong in that. I thought it was November of last year, but it may not have been. Anyway, um, uh, we will be facing a new year. And we should have this attitude all the time, not just at the beginning of the year. We should always have the attitude that we don't know our last day. We don't know our last moment, okay? And um, uh, so every day that we have with the people around us, we should cherish. And we remember that when somebody dies and we have to go to a funeral. You know, it was so unexpected and I never got to say goodbye. Well, that's the way life is. And so, uh, what I'm talking about here, as far as the rapture, may not apply to all of us. One of us may die on the way home today, and we have to keep that in our minds at all time. But um, are you looking his, the date of his death up? Okay, if you find it, let me know because I thought it was November of last year, but uh, I was, so it
0: was February because uh,
1: Dale and his girlfriend were down there. That's right, the February. That's right. Okay, That's right. that that That's is correct. correct. It was uh-huh. February, so I was wrong. We did lose Lynn this year. Um, and but it's something that we need to remember. That's that was the point I'm making. Is that just because we are in the generation where the rapture will probably happen, it doesn't mean that we are going to be blessed enough to not die physically before that happens. Okay. But the good thing is that regardless of whether we live or die, we are with Christ and we will be with Christ. So you, that's the point I was going did to make. Do you know about Mary Diebler? Mary who? Diebler. I guess you don't. Uh, know. From Grace. Yeah, oh Mary, the the lady that started at the Methodist Church and then yes, mm-hmm. did she yeah, die? She
0: died. She oh, died that's yesterday. Oh, is that right? She was I
1: was gonna say she's almost a hundred. Yeah, she was a very nice lady. Yes, true. that was an exceptionally nice lady. You know, what's 17 February? Thank you. Okay, 17 February. Um, Mary Daibler, I'll tell you something about her. I remember we were in class together. And I was talking about when I really met the Lord. And I may have been saved when I was 14. And I I try not to tell people that because when you're 14, you don't think a lot of things through and then your life gets off on it. Yeah, you go all over the place. And uh, uh, the proverb says, um, raise up a child in the way of the Lord. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, it doesn't say anything about his midlife. Okay, Okay. he's all over the place. So um, uh, I was talking about when I met the Lord and this is absolutely the truth. uh, uh, it it was like a light came on and everything everything looked different the sky was blue the the trees were green I noticed everything that I had not noticed it was like a pall was over my life and I, I, I don't know how to explain it but I said everything was vibrant and beautiful to me and it wasn't before You know, I had a greater appreciation for my my wife, for my children, for uh, the work that I did. Everything was more beautiful. And she said, that was exactly what happened to me. I remember she said that. She said, I remember walking outside and I said, I don't remember the sky being so blue. It's so beautiful. Because you just get so consumed with this this world and all the nastiness of it. Your eyes glaze over with it. And everything was beautiful and it's never gone away. Ever, it just you know there, obviously you have bad days you you're miserable you're sick whatever but it was it was something that I will never forget is that whatever my life was covered over with that was gone and it's never never gone back to that terrible state again it's just life is beautiful and uh, I, you know I, I, I can't explain any better than that but she said that's exactly exactly what happened, so I've always remembered her because of that. Okay, 3-3. Um, three, three. <clears throat> For you died is correct. I read that. There was a death to the basic principles of the world, which now results in something new. Paul explains that with the words, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus literally died. As the fulfillment of the law, the law died with him. It was nailed to the cross. That's Colossians two fourteen. But we also died with him to the law. In his resurrection, a literal bodily resurrection, our lives are now hidden with him in God. Okay, we'll stop right there. That's one of the tenets. I don't remember what it was. Something to Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Somebody sent me a link, I think, to their site or... uh, uh, anyway, somehow uh, I was reading up on something that Jehovah's Witnesses talked about in the resurrection recently. I'm trying to put it back into my head, but one of the things that they said, which I remember from the past, is that Christ did not literally bodily rise, right. and mm-hmm. they they say that he took on the appearance of a person that, you know, and they have to say that because he said, see, this is my hand, and, you know, feel me in my side, and Uh, But they say when he went up to heaven, he doesn't have a body at all now. It's just he's a spirit being. They have to do this because if they don't, then their theology, which denies all of the fundamentals of Christianity, uh, falls to the wayside. So to try to remove any contradictions, which there are plenty in the Jehovah's Witnesses, but to try to do that, they have to say these crazy things, which are not based on anything scriptural, okay? And um, I could never fellowship with somebody like that. I could never say let's have a prayer together other than would you like to pray pray to uh, receive Jesus as your Savior, the real Jesus. That's the only prayer I'll have with the Jehovah's Witnesses, so that kind of takes me back there. Anyway, um, <clears throat> we also died with him to the law in his resurrection, which was a literal bodily resurrection. Our lives are now hidden with him in God. The word hid is in the perfect tense. It is hidden once and forever. Thus, the life is a continuous fact. Right now, the life that we are in is a continuous fact. In essence, your life was hidden, it is hidden, and it will remain hidden forever. There is assurance in the salvation of Jesus Christ, no doubt. Now, what that means is when it says that um, our life is hidden with Christ in God forever is because we will always, forever and ever, be covered by the blood of Jesus, okay? That's just the way it is. God will be able to look upon us in the future because of what Christ has done, not because of what we've done in this life to merit it, and so he will always be our covering forever and forever. He will be the one that has protected us from the, uh, just being cast into the lake of fire because we do not meet up with God's standard. People don't want to talk about that today. People do not want to talk about the fact that there really is a hell. And the same people that say there's no hell will gladly say there's a heaven yeah, and right. that they're going to there. I've seen that many times. matter of fact, I saw, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Ray Comfort was witness, witnessing to somebody one time. And uh, he was talking about um, uh, uh, heaven. And she's like, well, I don't know about that, blah, 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 blah. And then um, uh, he said, you know, the only place that, uh, uh, no, he, talking about hell. And she says, well, I don't believe in that. That's what it was and uh, so he kept talking, and then he says, well, the only way you're going to get to go to heaven is to be with Jesus, and she says, I'm going to heaven, and she just admitted she doesn't believe in any of that kind of stuff, but when faced with the reality in her mind that there is something that is outside of her, she grabs onto it, and that's the way we do that. We, we want to think things only part way through to the point where it satisfies us, and it makes us feel good about ourselves, but um, uh, she... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, i lost my train of thought on that right now, but um, let me see where I was. Um, oh yeah, there's assurance of salvation in Christ. There's no doubt about it. We are in Christ, we are his, and it is forever. Okay. The glory of God says that God is perfect in his being. He is 100% perfect, and he cannot have fellowship with imperfection. He's allowed it for a time within this bubble that is called the universe. He created it, but he cannot allow that to continue in his presence. And so everything that is imperfect must be removed from his presence. And this is the reality of the situation. If you just sit down and think about it, just think about that, you can come to no other conclusion. But you have to think it through carefully. Just think it through, and you'll say, you know, that's right that God cannot deal with imperfection if he is perfect and therefore there must be a reconciling of all things and the way those things are reconciled is through Christ Jesus and without that reconciliation process he can't deal with us and so you know we can say oh you know it's not fair that this uh, person over here died she was young and innocent or something it doesn't work that way he swept away an entire world of people before the flood because there was imperfection in them. Some of them may have been better than others, but they were imperfect. But in his mercy, he allowed one man and his family to go through and to carry on the plan of redemption until the time that Christ would come, okay? Anybody that thinks that they are better than God's judgment and they haven't called on Christ are gonna find out how wrong they are after the rapture. They're gonna find out very quickly that they were wrong. And so there's going to be a lot of people that suddenly realize I missed the ball and I've got to figure out what to do about it. And if they go to the last book of the Bible and read, they'll be able to get it, okay? But that's the way it is. God cannot deal with imperfection, all right? And it's not that we are better than anybody else's Christians. It is that Christ is better and we are in Christ. That's what we need to remember, okay? As Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, 32, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, As we spiritually died to the basic principles of the world, the world has no dominion over us. But as we are alive to Christ, we are hidden with Christ in God. In other words, we are spiritually alive and we are kept safe in Christ. Who can never die again, by the way? Christ will never die. And so because he will never die, because we are in him, we are set aside in Christ. Therefore, we are eternally alive with him in this mystical union, which is, as Paul says, in God. As Christ is eternally in the Father, and as we are eternally in Christ, we are thus eternally in God. The fellowship is complete, and it is eternal. Okay, once again, if you think through the basic premise of what Jesus Christ did, you would come to no other conclusion than salvation Must be eternal. Because if it's not, then salvation does not exist. That's all there is to it. Either salvation of the person in Christ is eternal, or salvation as a principle does not exist. There is no salvation at all. Zero. Okay? Because Christ is the one that does it. We move from Adam to Christ, and Christ will not cut himself off. Okay? You can go to 1 Timothy. Let me see if I can find this verse really quickly. And We'd, it's it, Verse you have to take carefully, okay? It's, it's not something that you can just uh, arbitrarily uh, look at and say, oh, see, you have to take it carefully, and we'll be there pretty soon. We'll be in Timothy soon. But um, uh, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we also shall live with him. He doesn't give any qualifiers. He says this is the way it is. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Now, here's where it gets a little uh, uh, sketchy and people say, see, you can lose your salvation. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Well, what does that mean? We haven't denied him. We have called on him and we have been saved by him. And once you've been saved by him, it is a done deal because the next words tell you that. If we are faithless, we didn't deny him. We called on him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful he cannot deny himself. Paul is saying you are positionally in Christ. You are in Christ, and you are a part of himself, and he cannot deny what he has done, or he wouldn't be the Savior of mankind. And so uh, you can stop right there at that third clause, and you can say, see, you can lose your salvation. That's not right. You've never denied Christ in the sense of not having called on him, and once you've called on him, you haven't denied him. You can later say, well, I deny him, but that is a completely different issue, which falls under a completely different category, and we need to keep our category straight. Salvation is eternal because we are in Christ, and he cannot deny himself, so we have to get those squares lined up, or we will have bad theology, okay? So, um, Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, the fellowship is complete and it is eternal. Life application. Words have meaning. Paul writes in specific tenses in order to fully explain what has occurred for the believer in Christ. There is to be no doubt concerning our continued salvation. When we err, which we can do, or we can even say, you know, I I just don't think I believe anymore and walk away. Okay, when we err in that way, and that's what Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1.9, or 1.2 through 1.9, okay, Um, when we err, let us speak to the Lord about it and move on, and if we don't, we're the only ones that are going to suffer in this life, but we will still be saved yet as by fire, 1 Corinthians 3. He has saved us, and we are saved. Hallelujah to Christ Jesus, who has delivered us from the body of death, which is the law, which is exactly what he's been talking about through this whole chapter. The law, the law, the law. That is what is it. We are at enmity with God because of law. Adam was under law. He wasn't under the law of Moses. He was under law, and he violated law, and he died, and death spread to all men because of that. That's stated in the book of Romans. I, the reason why I'm saying this is because somebody uh, was listening to the one of the Roman studies, and he didn't understand what I was talking about. He brought it up on Sunday. He was driving here and he heard me say that um, uh, Adam was under the law. And I don't think I said that, but even if I did, he was under the law of God. He wasn't under the law of Moses. And when he violated the law of God, which was you shall not do this thing, he died. Okay? And that is what has brought every single negative thing upon humanity since then, is law. Law is what separates us from God. Spiritually. Spiritually, absolutely. spiritually died, and then physical death was a result of his spiritual death, okay? Because if you think that one through, God was wise in this. A being that can live forever that is sinful will become really sinful. He'll continue to grow more sinful, and that's proven perfectly in the pre-flood world, okay? There's a point, I, like I use it as an example, is look at how bad things were under Hitler, And he was, what, 50 years old when he was destroying all of Europe? I mean, literally, the wickedness that we can do in being just a young person. Imagine how wicked we can be when we've devised ways after three, four, six hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand years. It just is increasing wickedness, okay? God was wise to cut our years short. And so that's the way it is, and we've got a short time to make our decision, and then our eternity is set. Anyway, three, four
0: when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory
1: when Christ who is our life appears then you also will appear with him in glory so one word different there uh, this concluding thought of the section corresponds very closely to the closing thought of the corresponding section found in, in Philippians this is what it says in Philippians three twenty one, which is um, I'm going the wrong way am I aren't I Colossians, Uh, I am going the right way, Philippians is before Colossians, not after. Okay, Uh, Philippians 3.21 says, uh, uh, who will transition, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Okay, that's uh, Philippians 3.21 Paul is careful to remind his audience that our living for heaven now is not a futile endeavor. It is an anticipatory state of that which lies ahead, and that's why he said set your mind on heavenly things. It's an anticipatory state. We might as well get used to uh, living the way that we will be living, okay? And as we do, that's where rewards come in. That's where, uh, you know, productivity in Christ will be fully repaid. That's you know, and if you're not productive in Christ, then you won't be repaid. And once again, you know, people, uh, they'll often email and they'll say, you know, blah, blah, blah about your teaching. Then you know, you have a big reward coming. I'm not going to get any more of a reward for what I do than the person that is faithful in his job and loves the Lord with all of his heart and thinks on the Lord and performs his duty to the glory of the Lord. Okay, just because... I teach the Bible does not mean I'm in some super special category it does say and I admit that uh, you're to regard the teachers over you with double honor okay big deal okay besides that that's something that you uh, are told to do within the community of the church but other than that if you are doing your job you should never feel like I'm not doing something productive for the Lord if you're living your life to the glory of the Lord why, why should you feel that way? If you're doing everything you can to the glory of the Lord and you've got a pastor that is preaching great sermons but does not live for the Lord, who's doing the better job, right? I mean, that's all there is to it. There are lots of pastors out there that you can see right on Christian TV that are making millions of dollars. They're doing all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing. I read about one just yesterday that uh, some pastor doing something in texas and uh anyway it doesn't matter what but um uh you know do you think that you're less than him because he's a pastor and he's screwing up and you're doing your best to live for the lord absolutely not that's so don't ever feel that way don't let yourself feel like you are not productive in the lord if you are living for the lord Okay, Uh, and the only way you can do that, I say it almost every commentary and act so far, is if you don't know your Bible, you can't do that. You need to know what the Bible says. You need to be tuned in to what the Lord expects of you. But as long as you're doing that, you can be a farmer or you can be a plumber. You know, I was in wastewater for how many years after really becoming a Christian, and I don't feel any more holy today than I did when I was in wastewater. Zero. I don't feel any more Okay. Um, I, I can tell you I'm a lot more tired now. But other smell than... Better. What's that? You smell better. I smell a lot better. <laughs> no, actually, you know what? You, you, well, there were times where you got pretty nasty. If You know, I, I ran the place. And so I didn't have to do the things I did. But I loved to get the boots on and to go into the tanks. If there was something that needed to be done, I'm the one exactly. that would always do it. I loved it. I, I loved the work. I loved... Uh, everything about the wastewater field it is if uh, this kid I ought to email him and tell him what I think about that if you want to do something I think personally is just a wonderfully rewarding job it's to work in wastewater okay you're taking something that would otherwise destroy the environment around you because we're dealing with millions of gallons every day millions and millions and millions depending on like Siesta Key just a little island would go from 1 to 2 million gallons a day And that water has to be treated or it's going to poison everything out in the bay right and so you're taking something that really is harmful and you're turning it back into something that's pristine okay you're doing something great for the environment you're you're learning and using everyday chemistry you're using uh, biology you're using um, mathematics and you're using uh, just all kinds of wonderful things that Uh, Plus, like I said, you can go out and work really hard. You can clean things and, you know, whatever, chemicals. And uh, it just, there's no end to the fun of working in wastewater if you look at it with the right attitude. So um, maybe I should just tell him about that. Anyway, it's just one option, but it's not something that I ever felt like, oh, this is something that, you know, is degrading. Listen, I walk around still to, you know, he sees me over at 7-Eleven, I'm barefooted and I got these old tattered clothes on and I'm picking up, I walked by a guy today and I'm picking up cigarette butts and he goes, ooh. And I said, you know, somebody's gotta do it. And he said, well, I'm more concerned that people are throwing them on the ground. He said, why isn't there a sign over there that says we got cigarette butts? I said, they wouldn't care. The next car over, the guy sat there for probably 30 minutes or an hour and there were 10 cigarette butts in a pile. And he's just sitting there smoking them. And you got the thing right there and you got an ashtray in your own car. People don't care. They, They don't care. So, but I don't think there's anything degrading about that. And the whole point of me talking about this is that if you're doing something and you're doing it for the Lord, don't feel like you're not doing something worthy of honor. The Lord loves you. Okay. And he loves that you are loving him. So don't worry about your job as much as just gearing your life to him. All right. I'll read this again. Paul is careful to remind his audience that our living for heaven now is not a futile endeavor, but it is an anticipatory state of that which lies ahead. As we are destined for glory, we are reminded how important it is to set our mind on things above right now. Anything which detracts from our full and focused attention on what we already possess through the work of Christ will lead to a loss of rewards When our glorified state is realized okay uh that's i read it or i cited it earlier i might as well read it to you right now 1 corinthians chapter 3 go there very quickly just so you know where it is i read it once in a while to remind you okay starting in 11 for no other foundation can anyone lay that than that which is laid which is jesus christ he is the foundation now if anyone builds On this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And that's what I've been talking about for the past 10 minutes. doesn't matter what job you're in. If you're doing it for the Lord, you will receive your reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will will be saved, yet as through fire. And then the other verse that you want to go to, once again, I say this all the time, just so you don't forget it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, and I think you start at verse 9. Oops, I'm still in 1 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, and yeah, 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether bad or good. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Okay, so those are the two sets of verses that tell you that everything you're doing is being evaluated. Okay, as long as it's for the Lord, He's not gonna hold it against you if you're a postal worker. Okay? That's not, this is a temporary life. We're doing this life in whatever capacity we're doing in it. doesn't make any difference, okay? Politician? What, po- oh, maybe we better <laughs> set a qualifier. Uh, yeah, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a good politician out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Um, uh, okay, yes. Um, uh, where was anything which detracts from a full and focused attention on what we already possess through the work of Christ, will lead to a loss of rewards (coughs) when our glorified state is realized. And so he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, it is not that our life is with Christ, but rather it is that Christ is our life. This is confirmed by the words of John 1, verse 4. John 1. I was going to go to 1 John. I don't want that. I want John 1. Okay, John 1, and he says here, I'll just start at verse 1 because it's so beautiful. What a wonderful opening to the Gospel of John. Oh my goodness. Um, It says here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was was the light of men. Okay, so that's what it says there in John 1, 4. Christ was manifested in the flesh and completed his work. Upon completion of that, he ascended into heaven bodily. He didn't ascend as a spirit being bodily into heaven. Now, uh, it says that uh, he, uh, he's spiritual. We will be spiritual in 1 Corinthians 15. That does not mean we will be spirit beings like angels. We will be spiritual beings and there's a difference between the two. Anyway, need to clarify that because the Jehovah's Witnesses will use that verse as well. Well, Once again though, if you are uh, engaging with Jehovah's Witnesses, you shouldn't be. You should not be engaging with them. It says, do not greet them lest you share in their wicked work. Now, if they want to sit and listen to you talk about Jesus, I have no problem with that. But if they're giving you their doctrine, you need to cut them off. Don't allow that in your life because their doctrine is an infection and it will permeate everything about who you are. That's just the way it is. This is what bad doctrine does. It gets into your mind and it starts causing you to question what is right about Christ. Okay. Um, uh, Upon completion of that, he ascended into heaven and we are awaiting his coming again. He will manifest himself again at a specific time known but to God. And when that time comes, then his redeemed will appear. Paul's words will appear with him in glory. The day is yet ahead. The circumstances of what will occur on that day are partially referred to elsewhere, but what we shall be like on that day is not known. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, and John tells us this as well in 1 John 3, verse 2. Okay, let me read 1 John 3, verse 2, just to find out what. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what it is, but hang on. We'll go to 1 John 3, 2. Uh, beloved, we do not know. Um, hang on. I, I don't want to misquote it, so 1 John 3, verse 2 to Peter. Come on. Come on, Charlie. It's so small, they're hard to find. Okay, 1 John 3, 2. Yes, um, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so we we can't go saying this is what we're going to look like dogmatically. And people that do that, you just need to turn them off. Because the Bible just told you in black and white that we do not know what we will be like. But when we see him, we shall be like him. Okay, so um, as a point of doctrine, Paul tells us that Christ will appear, literally, shall be manifested. This verse presupposes the thought that there is one specific time that he will come and manifest himself to his people, not before. Therefore, it is not only unwise, but it is against the words of Scripture to accept any supposed vision of Christ before that day. Dreams of visits to heaven or hell, visions of Jesus, and so on are to be rejected. Okay? Paul says it. He's to be manifested. It's going to come. If he suddenly appears to somebody in his bedroom and says, I'm Jesus, and I'm here to tell you the way to salvation, then that's a violation of scripture. Jesus is not going to do that, okay? He is going to come when he comes, and until he does, we have the word that tells about what has happened. The apostolic age is over. We're not to expect anything except this word to guide us in who we are, okay? If people believe that, that's fine, You believe whatever you want, okay? As I say week after week, you you can be as wrong as you want about that, but the Bible does not tell us that that is going to happen, and it won't happen. Look, he is going to come, and when he does, then we will see Jesus and not until then. Okay, life application. As we are set on a heavenly course which is guaranteed to come about, we should not endeavor to, or should we not endeavor to live as if this is so now. We're on our way there. We might as well at least try living in the right manner now. Let us not spend our time foolishly, but instead let us set our minds on things above and live lives which are pleasing to God just as we will be when we are forever glorified. Man, I can't wait for it. Can't wait for that day, but until it happens, we just got to keep living through this life, doing the best we can, keeping the Lord on our mind, keeping the things of God on our mind, and, you know, the more that you do that, the more wonderful everything around you becomes. And I, I say it, I, I'm sure I've said this in a class before, or maybe I just think it so often that I thought I'd said it, but all the time, I have this two things going on in, in my head at the same time. And it happens constantly. All day long when I'm on the internet, all day long when I walk outside with the dogs or whatever I'm doing, I think, what a terrible world we live in. I think that constantly. I just, I, I it's disgusting. What a terrible world we live in. And at the same time, I look out and I say, what a beautiful world we live in. What a magnificent thing that God has done. Everything happens the way it should. I'm walking out there just this morning with my dog at three o'clock in the morning, 3.30, and we're walking down to the dock, and I'm looking around. There was total destruction at the house just a month and a half ago, or however long ago it was. And I look around now and I see the wisdom in it. Everything is cleared out. Everything is more open and yet everything is surviving. It's like those things needed just to have this kick once in a while by God. And everything happens according to his wisdom. There's a purpose in it. You know, when I gave the sermon on the uh, hurricane, I talked about how the hurricane swirls and when it does, it brings up phosphate that is needed by the mangroves. And God knows when the mangroves need this injection in the bays of Florida. And so he sends a hurricane so that it will have things work the way they should. What a marvelous world we're living in. It's absolutely astonishing. And yet at the same time, I'll sit there and I'll just chew my, my teeth and I'll say what a terrible, terrible world we've made of what this marvelous world is. And I can't wait for the day when we are out of the way. And that picture is only what God has done and we see the absolute glory without all of the dirtiness that we've infected this world with, okay? And now I'm not, when I say that, I want to make sure that nobody misunderstands me. I am not saying that we should live in a world with no humans, the way these crazy college professors say. is The best thing about this world would be if man was never here. Well, my thought is, let me go up to the the podium and hand him my gun and say, well, then just start with yourself. If you're going to advocate that, start with yourself. Okay, that's nonsense. This world is to be inhabited, but this world is infected with sin, and it is the sin that's the problem. And because sin is in us, this world is a dirty, dirty place. But the world itself that God has created is a beautiful place. And so we we have to live through this right now. And what we need to do according to Paul, is to set our mind on the heavenly things. So when you walk outside and you're frustrated at what's going on in the news, think of what the beauty of God has coming for us. It's going to be marvelous. If it is this nice right now that you can walk out in the morning and last night, oh my goodness gracious, go back to the live stream, okay, that's going right now. It'll still be there. I think it records for 48 hours before it loses whatever's behind it the moon coming up over the bay last night on the live stream was so beautiful i couldn't believe it, this
0: morning, it was
1: unbelievable. this morning yeah well coming up over the bay last night it was so nice we're finishing up the day and we had murder she wrote going okay we're watching that and i i had the ipad with the moon coming up over the bay because it was so beautiful i couldn't take my eyes at, off of it oh and it's just cold. as beautiful going out over the, the gulf
0: it was like somebody had a right on the, on the beautiful 30 yeah I, I'd be bicycling down the road yeah. and it, it was like there was a sunshine coming yeah because you mm-hmm.
1: be in the shade
0: in the light in the shade and right. light it was just crazy
1: Yeah, it's beautiful it's so beautiful your
0: best example about the fallen world beautiful car rusted out
1: oh yeah absolutely like, got a I great car
0: I can see it but it's gone it's yeah. not good
1: it's now. not perfect anymore it will be yeah I can't wait for the perfection can't wait for it okay just uh, uh, marvelous what's coming yep. um, uh, where are we okay life application as we uh, yes let us not spend our time foolishly but instead let us set our minds on things above and live lives which are pleasing to God just as we will be when we are forever glorified okay 3-5
0: put to death therefore what whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry
1: okay Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Little different, same thought. Okay, <clears throat> Paul begins this verse with therefore. Actually, yours says set now. Uh, therefore, this one says therefore. Therefore, so. therefore. Yeah, they had to change it a little so they wouldn't be plagiarizing. Uh-huh. Anyway, in order for therefore, in order for the reader to consider what he's just said. Uh, When you see therefore, go back and see what it's there for. That's right, okay? So, um, he has been speaking of our state in Christ. We died with him, and we were raised with him. And so what does that mean for us when he appears in glory? We too shall appear with him in glory. And because of this, he will now tell us what we should abstain from in verses 5 through 9. Then he will relay positive things that we should strive to do in verses 10 through 16. So he gives you the bad, and then he gives you the positive. In these, we will put off the old man, and we will, in turn, put on the new man. Okay, he talks about the old man and the new man in Romans. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians, especially 15, etc. He's talking about this, this thing that's going on in us. We have the old man. It infects us. I will tell you something. It's so funny that I have to tell you. It's embarrassing. I shouldn't have done it. Um, it shows my uh, uh, human failings. But um, who was it that I was telling I got cut off by somebody? On Was it you? I got cut off by somebody on uh, Stickney Point Road last week. Yeah, Yeah, okay, it was Don. Okay, so he knows this. I was kind of confessing, and I thought I'd I'd share it. I was driving down. It is from US 41 to the bridge that you go over to go on to Siesta Key. It's about a mile and a quarter. Okay, I would say it's about that far. All right, I was driving in the inside lane, because I'm going to be turning left. I'm on the inside lane. It's a two-lane road, okay? There is a car... That is just a little bit behind me he's almost even with me but behind me about 10 12 feet okay so uh we're at least halfway maybe three quarters of the way so i've got three quarters of a mile or more behind me and there's not one single car all the way out to us-41 okay that's the now there's a car that's just pulled up to an intersection right here and it doesn't just pull in front of us which you could have waited one second one second and it, nobody behind us all the way. It's not like there's any rush. It didn't just pull in front of the second car. It went across both lanes and pulled in front of me. And I had to slam on my brakes. I literally, stuff was falling off of the front of the car, off the seat, okay? It was that bad. I If I didn't slam on my brakes, I would have been... And so I went... This person completely stopped. It was like, my God, they, they just... I'm not getting near this person. But me, I went around... And I look in, and there's this woman talking on her phone, okay? And she's driving one of these buses that picks people up for free on the island. And she's just talking on the phone. And so I pulled around her, and I got here. I got over the bridge, and then there's one inlet where cars can come in, and there's a car ready to come in. And instead of going first, I slowed down and let that person go because I had a plan. <laughs> I, got to the, I got to the light where it tees now, and I'm going to go south. And this person is behind me. And the light is green and so i pull up to the light and i stopped and this person behind me is beeping and beeping and beeping and when the light turned yellow after half of the yellow i went through and so there she was waiting and i know that was wrong i read the proverbs the next morning and the proverb said i did the wrong thing but it felt so good This is what it's talking about right here. The carnal man as opposed to the spiritual man. I was not very spiritual with that person. I was very upset. What I should have done is stop. Mom's giving me a thumbs up. It shows you her character. Where I learned my character. Anyway, it was not the right thing to do, but it it was the carnal man getting the best of me. So I've now confessed to the whole world something that I only told Don. Um, Okay, um, so here we are. uh, he's going to relay the positives, which are to wipe out my negatives in verses 10 through 16. In order to put off the old man, he says to put to death your members which are on the earth. The word is "negrao," and it means to view as a corpse and thus to regard as dead. We are to look at our bodily members as if they are dead, and that's hard to do. That's testament to it and all the other things that get thrown at you. Doesn't matter what it is, what carnal earthly thing gets thrown at you, it is very hard to view your body this way because we're in this body. My son right now has got a terrible sore throat. He's at it for a couple days. He's miserable. He can't get away from his body. He's stuck in that body with this pain. Okay, I was uh, talking to some friends today and, Last week, he had a terrible flu. He was miserable. You can't get away from these bodies. So it's hard to say, I'm going to turn off everything in this body that Paul is telling us. And I assure you that Paul struggled with these things as well, because he tells us he did. Okay? But this is what we are to do. We are to strive to do these things. So I'm not trying to say that I'm more holy than you, or Paul's not trying to say that either, because in Romans chapter 7, he admits who is going to... uh, save me from this body of death. He's telling you that he's going through this struggle. Okay, so we are to look at our bodily members as if they are dead, and then he lists those members. To be noted is that he makes no distinction between the bodily members and what they accomplish. In other words, fornication is listed first as if it is a bodily member. The the part of the body is being equated directly with the negative act that it can commit. And this is the fallacy of the current movement in this world that is going on with all of the sexual things that are happening. Just because you are inclined to do something does not mean that you are to do that thing. The world has thrown off the restraints and it has gone into unbridled passion. That is not what we are to do. There was a time when if you were caught doing something in high school, you were either, I can't use the words on YouTube, but you know what I'm saying. A girl was this and the guy was that, okay? Now, that's the most common thing in the world, okay? I've had 15 boyfriends in the past week, okay? And you know what I'm talking about. This is what Paul is saying. Just because you have an inclination to do something does not mean that it is right or appropriate to act on that inclination. Okay, and that is the fallacy of thinking that is going on in the world more and more every single day.
0: That's when you hear, my, that's judgmental.
1: Yeah, that you're judgmental. No, this is the way that God expects it, and this was a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. This was a nation that upheld those values, and that is all being thrown away by the people on the left. There's an agenda here, and it's not to promote that particular perversion. What it is is to destroy the nation. There's a difference between the two. They are using this as a vehicle to achieve this end, okay? And they're destroying people's lives in the process, okay? They don't care about that, okay? To be noted is that he makes note, I have read that, fornication, uh, the, po- the part of the body is being equated directly with the negative act it can commit. However, the same body parts that are listed can be used in positive ways as well. And so we are being given insights into how we are to conduct ourselves while still in this physical corrupt body. We are to treat it as if it is already glorified. That's what we should be doing. As noted, the list begins with fornication. Fornication is sexual intimacy which is outside of the bonds of marriage. Any sexual intimacy Outside of the bonds of marriage is fornication. Hence, it is sexual immorality. Okay? And marriage in the Bible is defined in a way that is no longer defined in societies in this world. That's another fallacy. There can only be, according to the Bible, one type of marriage. Okay? And so anything other than a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage having sexual relations is fornication. Everybody got that, okay? I'll probably get banned from YouTube for saying this, but this is what the Bible teaches, okay? I thought we were on Rumble. Well, we are there too, but next is uncleanness. This is a general reference to life's impurities and anything that a man could pursue which would otherwise defile himself. So uncleanness is a general term which is just where you defile yourself. He then lists passions. This indicates strong emotions which are not directed by God, such as consuming lust, okay? This is one of the things that um, one of my friends went to a pastor's conference, okay? I think it was in Chicago, he said, and there were three to 400 pastors, and some of them were the most notable pastors in the entire nation. You've heard their names. Guaranteed you've heard their names. And the guy that was giving a briefing on the sexual part of it said who here has struggled with sexual um, lust and these type of things every single person was faithfully faithful and stood up it's something that we all struggle with and if you say you don't I think you're probably not telling the truth okay this is a problem that humans have and it is so infectious in our society that you can't help. You you turn on the TV and you see something, and the next thing you know, your mind is going off in some gross tangent. Yes?
0: Billy Graham said you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but don't let him build a nest.
1: Don't let him build a nest on your head. That's exactly right. A bird will fly over your head. but You know, uh, and there's the other one that's kind of funny, but it's true. It says you know there's nothing wrong with looking at a beautiful woman. The Bible highlights beautiful women again and again and again, especially the Song of Solomon. But, They highlight beautiful women. It's the second look that'll get you. Okay, that's where you need to, there's a point where you need to say, I've got to turn this off. Okay, but people that uh, don't recognize beauty for what it is are taking things to an unintended extreme because beauty is something that we should appreciate and the Bible makes it absolutely clear. Okay, so after that are evil desires. Do we have time to finish this? Yes, okay. Um, Such desires are reflected in things like lewdness, and the working of all uncleanness and greediness okay being greedy is a state of being defiled or being unclean okay we should never be greedy people coming next is covetousness okay this is one of those things i love to mention this because i was thinking about it just a day ago i'm always trying to remind myself of these things is that the 10th commandment is a commandment that nobody else on this planet is going to know is being violated except God. You can covet all day long and nobody else is going to know. And yet, it's one of the commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Okay? Coveting will lead to other things and then people will know it. But you can covet all day long and only you and God are going to know. And yet, he knows. Okay? Covetousness. This is closely associated with fornication and uncleanness. It indicates a desire for more and more. It demonstrates eyes that are never satisfied with what they have. And an attitude which is insatiable towards self-gratification. That is that is almost the definition of the left in our nation today. That is almost the definition of I'm not saying there aren't people on the right that act this way as well, but the left is completely sold out to gratification. More and more and more. And coveting other people's money, coveting other people's property, coveting power, they're sold out to it. There's no restraint left in the left. Okay? Paul then explains covetousness by saying, which is idolatry. The reason covetousness is described this way is because it dethrones the Lord from our hearts and from our souls. Instead, we take what our attention is directed to and we place it upon a throne of our heart's own making. And that's why when it says that we shall not covet, and I keep reminding myself of this, anytime I'm working or doing whatever I'm doing is because God knows that he is being dethroned in our lives when you're acting that way. He is to be the, we're to be satisfied in him. Whatever we possess, that is what we possess. And it's a gift from him, And if we want to make more, we just set our sights on it and we work for it, but we do not covet it in the process. If he does not provide it, then our work may have been in vain or it may have been because he knew that we didn't need it. It would distract us in another way. Okay, the Lord is wise about our lives in relation to him. Okay, we don't know what we can handle and what we can't handle. He does. And so we just have to accept that if we are not prospering in some way in this life, it is because he has restrained that in us okay you have to say well that's the lord's will i'm working as hard as the guy next to me he's making five times as much but there's a reason why i'm not excelling and the lord knows that and that's just the way it is okay all right i uh whatever um life application yeah we got three minutes in the old testament as forbidden actions were given there was an accompanying penalty which was noted for the offense such is not the case in the New Testament. We have died to the law through Christ's death. Therefore, our penalty is something that will be realized less in this earthly life than it will be in the next. A believer's salvation is secured, but our rewards are based on the lives we live after that salvation. However, this doesn't mean we won't also suffer in this life if we do bad things. We may profit from a greedy heart by making millions, but we may also lose by getting fired from our job. Paul's point is not what will happen in this life though, but in what will be reckoned to us in the next. Therefore, let us pursue Christ now, being obedient to the admonitions that he has set forth for us. That is where we should be. This is what we are to do. And if we don't do it, the one that is going to suffer is us. That's just how it is. The Lord knows what's best. And as difficult as that may seem to us at times, it's the, you know, we we need to accept it. And uh, with that, I think, yes, we better close. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your glory. Thank you for this word, which leads us, which guides us, which tells us what's going on. It tells us all that's on your heart towards us and all that we should do in relation to you. So thank you for that. You've given us what we need, and there it is in front of us. Help us to be wise and to respond to it accordingly, to apply it to our lives, and Lord, we can't do that unless we know it. So give us the desire to read this book day in and day out and to think on it and to cherish it. It is such a wonderful gift. Thank you for this lamp for our feet. Thank you for this light for our path, your wonderful word. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the one, the giver of all good things. Thank you for him. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for his shed blood and the resurrection which is our hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord God, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, I got my shirt on. It says uh let me back this thing up. And we're going oh, to yeah, back that up. It says